it's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Friday, 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 Friday. Just had my Friday ruined. I have plans tonight. John Von Tobel just blew him up. We'll get to the we'll get to the Big Five in a couple of minutes. You pipe down. I can't believe you're giving out spoilers on Space Jam too. You know, what I was just thinking uh, during the break uh, why maybe why I didn't see the original Space Jam, Space Jam One. I haven't seen it over the years. I'm gonna watch it. It was actually released November 15th of 1996, mm-hmm. and. I was about three months into living in Las Vegas, so my life was a little bit hectic. I had just gotten here. I got here in August of 96, so November 15th of 96 was the release date. So, uh, yeah, I didn't watch it when it first came out, and I haven't seen it since, and now I'm going to watch one and two back-to-back and compare. Um, Just like I did with A Star is Born. Which one was that one? Star is Born? Oh, the... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh wait, no! Is that the Lady Gaga one? Yes. You never okay. did. You, did you ever see any, any of them? There's a bunch of no, them. I, nothing. Yeah. Barbara really? Streisand. A bunch of them. Yes. Oh yeah. I think there's four total. It's a what? remake after a remake after a remake after a remake. Yeah. How can you remake such a depressing movie so many times? Hey, you change the characters and the happenings in the movie. They're they're great movies. Great movies. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you this. Yes. So Space Jam Day Kia came out in 1996. You said November 16th. And November 15th, 1996. November 15th. So that was, uh, I remember, I've, I've asked so many times. I wanted the Michael Jordan action figure from Space Jam. And Santa brought me that year. It was a two-foot-tall Michael Jordan action figure that said, like, a whole bunch of phrases. If you press wow. a button on the back, like, from the really? movie. Oh, it was so dope. It was so cool. Little did you know at the time, and anyone around you know at the time, that you had become such a big current day NBA fan that I think you borderline loathe Jordan, but it's because of the Jordan files out there, the Jordan stands, because you had to hear so much about Michael Jordan versus LeBron James around the time of the Jordan documentary. Absolutely. The last dance was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll never get those 10 hours back. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Injury update from last NFL season? Huh? You sent over a note that simply says Tom Brady is greater than Jack Youngblood. What's the problem? (laughs) So apparently, according to reports and lore, uh, Tom Brady played the entire 2020 season on a torn MCL, Steve. Think about that. That's a lot harder to do than playing with some dinky hairline fracture in your leg. For one game, by the way, may I add, not an entire season. Uh, do we believe this? 
That Jack Youngblood had a broken leg? Absolutely not. I do. Do we believe that Brady actually had a torn knee? Uh, not really. Who's who's more believable? Conor McGregor had fractures in his leg before he snapped it in the fight the other day, or that Brady had a torn knee? Oh well, that's it's Conor McGregor because I can just picture him raging out, like kicking a cement wall over something. Right. So yeah, right. like <laughs> I would totally go with McGregor. You know, now you do know what that story. Conor McGregor uh, yesterday we played the audio of him saying he had stretch fractures in his leg. Yep. The UFC knows it. They almost pulled him from the fight. I haven't seen a UFC comment yet. Uh, the Nevada Athletic Commission uh, from Adam Hill, our buddy who's part of the company, just a little while ago said Nevada Athletic Commission not aware of any pre-fight injury to Conor McGregor. So I want to read the details of that story because there was also the this the part of the story is hey what did he put down in his forms. And if he lied on his forms, then there's perjury issues to the UFC. He claims the UFC knew about it, and so did their doctor. Which, he was naming guys. Yeah, I mean that. That I mean, couldn't that be a lawsuit down the road for Conor McGregor? Like he claimed, hey, I, got, I got I got coerced and forced into the octagon. It absolutely, could be right in that regard. Like, <laughs> but would it, would Conor would that be Conor's lawsuit to file if he like coerced and forced? Really, Conor McGregor was forced into fighting. I can, yeah, I can see it now. I'm like, Dana, I don't think I can do it. It hurts really bad. I don't think I can go out there. And Dana's like, you're going to get in there. You're going to fight. You're going to fight the diamond, Dustin Poirier. You're going to make me money. Well, it was interesting that they did, they, uh, they did all, uh, weigh in an alternate fighter. So just in case. Now, I don't know if it had to do anything with pre-fight injuries. Maybe it was just an absolute emergency if there's something really bad happened. So I'll say I believe... Brady to a certain extent and yeah I I was a little leery on the whole Conor McGregor thing from the get go saying that he had leg fractures check that uh, yeah he did that's what he said stress fractures yeah stress fractures yeah no, I, look Conor the thing with Conor is this now just seems to be unraveling because he's just making excuses for the reason why he lost that fight but the stress fractures the stress fractures if I could say it um, did not lead to him Shooting because Dustin Poirier landed three clean combinations to his dome, forcing him to panic and clinch up because he was getting absolutely rocked. Right, like though it's it just smacks of desperate excuse making. And well, it's part like, of the resurrection. It's part. It's part of the resurrection and try to build you know to make the the fourth fight between them meaningful by saying, hey, I had an injury going in. This fight is invalid. But if you have half a brain, you watch that fight. There's no way why that fourth fight would be valid. <clears throat> Uh, are we? Who are we pitching the fight to? You, me, or casuals? It's a very good point. Wait, uh, hold on. No, I thought we were the, the, the casuals. Those are the ones that tell me I'm the casual, right? That boo, <laughs> yeah, that boo, Gilbert Burns after a brilliant fight against Stephen Thompson, an awesome game plan. Who just sit there and boo him, but then tell me I don't know what I'm watching? So yeah, you're right. You're, it's probably for the mouth breathers who are doing that. Number four. Interesting note around the NBA draft process hmm Dwayne Casey says they actually ask draft prospects whether they make their beds in the morning is this a worth is this a worthwhile question and I think more importantly what is your answer so this is absolutely like old guy like gotta ask see where he's at you got to see what kind of a guy I'm drafting here. 
so dumb. Who cares if somebody makes their bed or not every single day? And no, I do not make my bed every day because I'm going to sleep in it. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Nobody makes their bed every day. And if you are, you're a psychopath. Hmm. You don't make your bed. I don't. <laughs> the the SO will make it 30% of the time. Yeah, like, you know when I make it? I make it when we're, like, cleaning the house over the weekend, and it just makes the room look cleaner, right? Like, okay. making a bed just makes the room look a little bit cleaner. But, like, do I, like, uh, like wake up in the morning and, like, make the bed the second I get out of it? No. Well, what does that say about you? That? You're you're lazy, unmotivated, and not ready to start your day. Or I have better things to do and to worry about. Or and, really in fact, crazy. I think studies have, been sh- uh, studies have shown that the more disorganized you are, the smarter you are. So, ooh. Okay, well then I'm brilliant because I'm getting more disorganized as I get older. Uh, company members, myself, I'll include myself in the company. Ari, myself, co-founder company members, uh, myself, JVT, Ari, Candy, Adam Hill, Candy. Are we an Ofer or is there a one for five? It's Candy. Ari, right. we'll allow you to speak for the first time this week on mic. Go ahead. There you go. One word. Uh, candy. That's my one word. That yeah. was my guess too. <laughs> I will add if and this is so obvious. Obviously, if you have company and you know you have company coming that night or whatever, you're gonna. I'll make my bed. But what if you live in a two-story? What, I think Ari's talking about like company of the night. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that if, kind if, of company. I, yes. I thought you meant like like friends over. Nah, that's no. Nah, oh, that was the thing. stupidest thing in the world as a child. Hey, hey, we got company. Go clean your room. Like they're not coming in my room. It's a dumb excuse to force me to clean my room. Nobody's coming in here. Yeah. I. This doesn't mean anything to me. Like, you can't really gauge a person. <laughs> uh, yeah, Casey said it. it can indicate whether the they set the tone for their day and how organized they are. And, and to John's point, John's saying that if you're disorganized, you actually may be a smarter person. I haven't seen that, but I'll buy into it. I'll look it up. Einstein was a very disorganized person. Number three. Do you think Bryce Harper makes his bed? Uh, n- no. Or is he too busy? <laughs> yeah, 12... Re- oh, here we go. Lifehat.org.org. So it's a .org. Right. It means it's right. legitimate. Um, 12 reasons why disorganized people are more intelligent. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, back on the theme of... Reasons. Back on the theme of uh, Bryce Harper being too busy to make his bed. He's also too busy to answer questions about the NBA. This is actually at the park. The audio is not great, but we'll give you a feel for it and then explain as uh, the crowd is asking Bryce a question. Bryce! Bryce! Left hand box, right hand son. You couldn't care less? Man. So Bryce is asked to, uh, to put up a hand. Does he like the Suns or the Bucks? And he says, I... I don't know if he said I could care less or I couldn't care less. That's a whole other topic. I thought he said I couldn't. Okay. So I'll give him credit for that. Which is proper. Um, so there's a lot to unpack here. First off, this stems from, I don't know if you saw the viral video uh, months and months ago in which uh, Mike Trout was asked while he was out in the outfield, left hand for, it was, it's like his favorite Call of Duty weapons. So it was like left hand for this, right hand for that. And Trout actually answered and, and stuck up his left hand for one of the choices. Oh, so this man, for those who are listening, um, is sitting behind the dugout. So Bryce is directly in front of him. They're on the same level. And he asks him a similar question, left hand or right hand. Here's the observation. If you watch the video, Steve, I swear 
Harper does this where you can see me, nobody else can. The second the guy asks the question, he like he drops his head like, like <laughs> this guy's asking me something else again. So what I think happened here was yep. this guy was probably just pestering Harper like the right. entire game. How do you not finally... know? How do you he engaged with you one time? Right. He's playing a baseball game. Be cool, man. He he did it once. It's not quiz night. Right. So then he turns around and he goes, I couldn't care less. So I don't think it was – it initially sounds like Harper's coming off as a D, but I think when you read the context of it, it sounds like he'd been asked this, like, this different – like the whole show, Bryce, left hand for hot dog, right hand for hamburger. And it's like the the whole (laughs) entire game. And, like, by the final time, he's like, I don't care. I don't. Leave me alone. Number two. So Team USA lost two players. Bradley Beal is out. Kevin Love is out. Beal, COVID concerns. Love, injury concerns. They've added JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson to the roster. We were ready to debate the uh, you know the list of, hey, best replacements, man. There's a lot of talent, American talent, to go on Team USA. Saw the list earlier in the day. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is pretty cool here. Uh, you got guys like Julius Randle, Tobias Harris, Duncan Robinson, our own Chris Wood from UNLV, and Trey Young. Wait a second. Why isn't Trey Young on the team? Is this another Isaiah Thomas deal? Or their politics at play here and how they're building this roster? Did you do that on purpose? Did you see what Trey Young tweeted today? I did. I was leading up to that. Because uh, <laughs> there's there's quite the background here with Lloyd Pierce and and some of the stuff he said in the past. And obviously, you want to explain to people what happened with the Hawks? Well, Lloyd Pierce got fired in the middle of the season, and uh, they were 14-20. and 20. Yep. And I'd say like a month after he got fired, maybe a little bit less, actually, a report came out that he just had zero connection with the players. None. Yep. Players didn't 20, like playing for him. 27-11 and 11 after going 14-20. and 20. Uh, And a berth in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yes. Right? We could talk about the, the luck that it took the guy. They got there. So, like, a complete turnaround after uh, Lloyd Pierce got fired. And uh, I think Lloyd Pierce is on the staff. For USA basketball, he is so, on the staff. Yes, but uh, but uh, Trey Young tweeted out the clip of Isaiah Thomas uh, from the Last Dance. I fit the criteria, but for some reason I wasn't selected, which yep. is pretty good. Um, no, you're right. Like for me, and just think about it from a roster construction standpoint. So you lose a ball handling guard and you lose a floor spacing big. Let's replace them with a small forward and a true center. Right. Like, that <laughs> like, just doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, Pierce and, and Young have a history going back, man. Um, Pierce was asked about this a few years back. And instead of backing Trey Young, he actually said that Harrison Barnes and Mason Plumley were more worthy of being on Team USA. Like, bro, what are we doing here? And for Pop, I mean, if he if he's really letting Lloyd Pierce affect how they roster build, and that's why Trey Young isn't on the team, and clearly Trey Young would be into being on the team. This is silly, and it all it sets up. This is going to be a story, John. If they don't win the gold, and they have you know poor point guard play uh, beyond Dame Lillard, or God forbid, Lillard gets hurt, and Trey Young's sitting at home because one of the assistant coaches can't get along with him. Are you serious? Of course. Uh, absolutely. And, well, and then you look at like, so overall, I and mean, that's the other thing about it, right, is 
when you look at the way that this team, even outside of the injuries, there's not like a ton of depth when it comes to the point guard position, like a true point guard. They could kind of use a guy like Trey Young, like a dude who can handle and and facilitate the offense. I get they have Zach Levine, but he's not a true point guard. They need a guy like Trey Young. I, I, I was kind of, I didn't really kill them for the Kevin Love you know, addition to the roster, but the moves they've made subsequently after losing him and Bradley Beal, they just don't make sense. Number one. Ooh, interesting story today as, uh, you know, the football stories start to roll out here. We're just a couple of weeks away from training camp, college football, right around the corner, and then uh, we actually get to play in about uh, five weeks. CBS Sports says, uh, hey, here's a list of quarterbacks who may take a big step back this year. Because of issues on the offensive line, they've named Derek Carr as a guy who will step back because Derek Carr wasn't very good under pressure, and they're expecting the Raiders' offensive line to decline. Uh, here's Mike Mayock on the Lindsey Rhodes podcast. Is uh, He was talking about the fact that, hey, you know, we had to make a move on this because we didn't want to have the entire line get super old at one time. There is a sweet spot, and it really comes down to health. For some of the interior guys, it comes down to do they still have their legs? Can they climb to the second level? Can they practice on a daily basis? Do they need time off? But one of the things I used to say at NFL Network all the time is you can't let an offensive line grow old together. And when I took the job, that was one of my biggest concerns. As a matter of fact, I said that to John at my interview. Wow. So Mike Mayock, GM of the Raiders, saw this as a problem and uh, they did it all at one time and obviously Trent Brown uh, had to happen I don't think there's many Raiders fans who are arguing with the move where they got rid of him and he's on to the Patriots uh, here's Mayock talking about Trent Brown positive and negative and you know what's result from it uh, resulted from it in terms of the savings and then you look at Trent Brown you know Trent Brown when healthy and available is a dominant right tackle but he was not healthy and available for us very often in two years. And he was making, what, $14 million. So between the three of them, we had we saved $34 million. All right. So $34 million in savings. And now you roll the dice on Andre James and Denzel Good. And Nick Martin's another guy who's in the mix there at center. And Johnny Simpson out of Clemson, who had a really tough time at times last year. And then your new right tackle. So... You know, on the surface, it does make sense that CBS Sports is looking at it and they're like, well, you know, Derek Carr was behind a pretty damn good line, you know, the last few years. Uh, and, you know, even then when he was under pressure, his performance dropped. Imagine what's going to happen now if this line isn't as good. Yeah, it's a gamble. And I just, when I hear him talk, I just wonder, is it, hey, my philosophy is I don't want my offensive line to get old at the same time, or is it cost-saving move? Because it's, Right, you set it up as that, but then you come back right. and like, and we're saving this much money. Like, okay, well, I just find it odd. I can understand the thinking of, I don't want to get old at a position all at once, especially a key position like offensive line. To me, it's just odd to take the gamble and say, 2021, all three of these guys are falling off. I'm getting rid of them. And yes, one of them, right, it was a locker room issue. It was a, it was a what do you call them, an energy vampire type situation. So you yep. can understand that. But to just make the assumption, these guys are, oh, this is the decline. They're done. Steep fall. We need to get rid of them. I think that's it smells more of a cost-saving move than anything else. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the season works out because, uh, as Mayock also said in the interview, and again, thanks to uh, Lindsey Road Podcast for all the great audio out of this thing, uh, in the end, you're judged on wins and losses, not only as management uh, and the coach, 
but also the quarterback. So Derek Carr may actually be the guy who takes the freaking hit uh, and may not be as efficient this year as his offensive line is developing. But Mayock keeps saying over and over and over again, he's our guy. We like him at quarterback. And most importantly, the relationship with John Gruden, it's solid. It is. There's the head coach GM dynamic. And I think at the same level, there's the head coach quarterback dynamic. And John and and Derek are on the same page. We have a lot of volume in our offense. We, we run a lot of plays. We have a lot of volume. Derek has an awful lot of freedom at the line of scrimmage, not just to get, out, get us out of a bad play, but to get us into a good play. And Derek has, I don't know if it's a photographic memory or not, but he's mind-boggling with his memory. And John puts more on his plate than I can even begin to imagine, and he handles it seamlessly. I think that is an important point that like the off the field stuff and then the execution of Gruden's playbook, which is, you know, of legend for its depth and volume. It is important that Derek Carr, as Mayock is saying, has a great memory and is, you know, borderline brilliant when it comes to that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, when it look, I think it is fit. I think Derek Carr has worked in this system. You and I have talked about this. I think he's a very underrated quarterback. He has performed very well since Gruden has got there. I don't think there's any denying that. And I think part of the frustrations with Carr is you see the flashes of brilliance when he does want to throw the ball downfield, when they do get more aggressive. Right? That's the frustration with the offense. When you see the Kansas City games where you're taking shots downfield to guys like Ruggs and you see the explosive nature of what the offense can be, so, yeah, they, I don't think there's any question that Carr and Gruden are on the same page and that they fit well together. I think you've seen that. Now it's time to win. Now mm-hmm. it's time to win. That's how you're judged. We'll flip back to the NBA Finals. Game's coming up tomorrow on ESPN Las Vegas with Game 5, and this is exactly uh, what happens in the NBA. Uh, Giannis and CP3 and Booker and Coach Bud, and they're all judged in the end on one thing. Did you win? Did you win at a high level? And do you win titles? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Now Booker with Tucker on him, throws it up for Aiton, shot blocked by Antetokounmpo! Now, back to Cofield and Company. What a block from Giannis! I uh, can't wait to see more of that. I'm on the Bucks side. Giannis, greatest block we've ever seen in NBA history, and that was off of a uh, perfect alley-oop pass from Booker to Aiden. Brilliant play. Brilliant play by Giannis. The greatest? LeBron James literally won a finals with his block. <laughs> Come on, dude. You know what was happening there. That was clearly a troll. Uh, the fact that the discussion came up, Someone knew the original troll on this knew that this would be a hot button issue. So we all rolled with it and uh, no one believes it's the greatest block ever. It's stupid. I thought we were embracing debate. Sorry. Sometimes if it's, if it's that phony and and that made up, come on, it it was a good block. It was a really good block. And, and as I, as I said yesterday, the, the still photo of the shot, um, someone caught one, uh, a shot from right underneath the basket it does show the athleticism of these two big guys. The height of where they met is unreal. I mean, Aiton, Aiton was actually a little above Giannis. So for Giannis to get his hand on the ball and get a clean block was impressive. But, I mean, Aiton is just nuts. And and 
uh, in there, I, you know, I said perfect pass from Booker. It wasn't a perfect pass. Booker kind of like flipped it up from his hip. So it actually wasn't an easy pass to grab. And Aiton was still going to slam the living life out of that ball on an oop in, in, in a key situation. But Giannis stopped all of it. It's my, uh, it's, there was a great photo that went around on social media. So it's my new lock screen of Giannis going up and meeting him at the point. And it's like a very high quality picture. But yeah, it was, it was brilliant. To be able to defend the the ball handler in that situation and still change direction and meet the dunker at the point of attack is it's it's nuts. It speaks to his length, his athleticism. Uh, that was a very brilliant and athletic play. I, I want to address Giannis because that's the big part of the play is the fact that he's covering two areas at the same time and he's able to recover and get the block. We're going to talk to one of the experts from The Athletic who uh, covers the NBA, does a lot of good uh, video podcasts, was a video guy in the NBA. Mo Dakil is going to join us. But uh, you believe that the Bucks are in the driver's seat, really, in the series? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mainly because of the adjustments that they have made. And what, what they're doing, I think, is, is replicable, pretty replicable going forward. Now, the Suns can obviously change things up. So, one of the things that they've really discovered is a small ball lineup, right? Giannis now with the five, Brooke Lopez, you know, his minutes diminishing as you go game by game here in game four, playing only 19 at home. But, and it's not, it's not a slight toward Brooke Lopez, but when you play Giannis at the five, it just gives you more options, right? You know, Chris Paul, what makes him so great is exploiting one, five pick and rolls all the time, right? Getting the center in action on the, on the opposition. So you can get him switched on to you in certain cases. And of course you can work in space. You can get to your spot. You can hit mid range jumpers over him. You can do what you do. We know that's what Chris Paul loves to do. Well, now you can't do that with a small ball lineup like this, right? Now, if you're running a one, five pick and roll, it's drew holiday to Giannis Antetokounmpo. If you're running over, like if we are running a one, four pick and roll, now it's drew holiday to PJ Tucker, right? You know, go across the board. The only liability that's going to be out there is a guy like Pat Connaughton, and even then, Connaughton's like not a mass negative when it comes to paying a defender. Still got enough size and length and anything to disturb you. Like even you go back to some of those shots that Devin Booker hit, Steve, like Pana Connaughton was defending Booker pretty well on right. some of those. And, yep, and he was just hitting him right over him. It was nuts. So this small ball lineup from a defensive standpoint is a big reason why over the last two games, Chris Paul's averaged four and a half turnovers per game after averaging 1.6 in the 16 post games or postseason games prior. And then the other side of it is they have been great at attacking the rim. Milwaukee has two games in Milwaukee. They had 60 attempts within four feet of the basket. They drew 14 shooting fouls. They shot 70% within four feet. Like they have just been destroying the Suns. And one of the things that has stuck out about Phoenix, 24th and rim defense in the regular season, gave up the second most attempts within four feet of the basket in the postseason coming into the finals. You know, so a team was going to put those two things together and exploit it. And the Bucs have done that. And when you do that, you can attack the glass. You can do all sorts of things. Like those those changes are really big for Milwaukee. And the reason why I think they're in the driver's seat is what are the adjustments you're making if you're Phoenix right now, right? Like what is Chris Paul going to be able to do in a 1-5 matchup like that that he can exploit that and change things? It's attack the basket. But Chris Paul doesn't do that. So I just think when you go from there, they, they're in control. I'm not going to say they're going to, you know, it's all over. It's done with. But they're definitely in control of the series right now. More on Game 5 and also the uh, rebuilding of the back end of the Team USA roster. Do they just blow this with some of the recent repla uh, replacements and make the roster really clunky? Have something to say? Tweet at Steve Goldfield or call 702-364-1100 now. It's Goldfield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas.
All right, let's continue to get you ready for uh, Game 5 NBA Finals. John Von Tobel is here, the uh, NBA expert from VSIN, part of the company. Cofield and Ari uh, Moda Keel worked around the NBA. Now he's breaking things down for the athletic. Gives us a couple of minutes here as we got a lot to get into with uh, the NBA Finals and also the U.S. Olympic team. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? We're really good, really good. Fired up to have you on. Appreciate you coming on on relatively short notice. All right, first of all, we have to get to the news of the day. We, both of us, cannot understand what they've built here on the back end. You lose Beal, you lose Love, you add JaVale McGee, and then Keldon Johnson. There are so many other good players out there. Do you understand what they're trying to put together here with these replacements? I'll be honest, I have no idea. The, the, <laughs> the Keldon Johnson, I kind of understand because he's been there. He's been part of the select team. They put him on the, the, the roster for the exhibition games. It's not very different than Pop bringing Derek White with him for the World Cup. You know, this is maybe a little bit of a part of the Spurs family, but he's been there, so he... You know, they're, they're able to see that up close. JaVale McGee just came out of left field. Like, I have no way to <laughs> – we need a big guy who's available, and somebody just said, JaVale McGee's free. And they said, sure, bring him here. That's that's all I got. <laughs> but like, Christian Wood's available. UNLV zone, Las Vegas kid, <laughs> up-and-comer. Let's go. You know, the, the only thing I would say is we don't always know what – you know who they've reached out to, and if somebody turned it down, or or hey, I'm not interested, or 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 whatnot, or or, or things like that. There, that does happen quite a bit for guys. But I think Christian Wood would be a great, you know, would be another guy I would I would have probably called before Javale McGee. Do you do you buy into the rumors that the the disconnect with Lloyd Pierce and Trey Young maybe played into factor into why Trey Young is not on this team? Uh, I don't, but it. it, it these things do kind of play a role in all of these things in the long run. I, I necessarily don't do that. Just look at the fact that, you know, you would think Steve Kerr and Kevin Durant, you know, they didn't end great in Golden State, but yet they're, they're both on the, the team together. I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's Pop who's making the decisions with Brian Colangelo. I think one thing maybe they were a little bit concerned about is Trey Young's defense. And also Trey Young's coming off of a bone bruise that I – you know, it, it was still a while ago, but I'm not sure how comfortable I'd want him right out there if I was even the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. So let me ask you this: I think part of the um, part of the I think conversation around USA basketball stems from like an overall arrogance, right? That hey, man, we're America; we should be winning this thing every single year. It's our sport. But there's some pretty good teams out there. Uh, namely, you were the former video coordinator, right, for the Australian men's basketball. Like, I think that team is pretty damn good, and they're in a favorable group. Like, what do you make of the standings overall for all of these teams in, in uh, the basketball for Olympics? Because I think the Americans, you know, they were pretty heavily favored to win the gold medal. I'm not going to sell on them quite yet, but there's some quality teams that are going to be competing with them. Yeah, you know, I think the, the days of us just walking through the whole Olympics and, and, and winning the gold medal are pretty much over. You know, if you look back over the past, you know, three Olympics, each year it's gotten progressively tougher. You know, in 2016, which was an unbelievable team, you know, they still had two games that went down to the wire, you know, and, and, and two more that were within 10 points. So it's, it's a lot closer. I think the world's catching up. And I think that's an exciting thing for that we should embrace. Like, let's have fun with this Olympic tournament in that sense. You know, you have Slovenia with Luka Doncic, you know, leading the charge. France with, with Gobert and that whole crew. You have the Australian team, which is, 
you know, my, my, my second favorite team here that I'll be rooting pretty hard for in the Olympics is really coming up with a lot of talent. And they've been so close for so years to earn their first medal in basketball. Like they're right on the cusp. I think there's, you know, just across the board, there's a lot of talent. And that's just a sign of how global the NBA game is. I mean, just look at the, the all NBA teams. You know, I think we had a, three or four, four uh, foreign-born players there. Nikola Jokic wins the MVP. Second in that is Joel Embiid. Both of them would never be able to play for Team USA. I think these are all positive things for the league and basketball in general, and we should embrace that. Mo, tell people where they can find your stuff on video and uh, especially your uh, your website, the uh, jumpball.net. Well, they can find the jumpball.net at the jumpball.net. Uh, <laughs> the easiest thing to do is find find me on Twitter at Mo Dakil, M O D A K H I L underscore NBA. From there, I tweet out everything I'm doing. I do a Twitch post game show after every finals game, uh, breaking down video clips. I break down clips on Twitter. Uh, you, you can just find me there, and I'm on there probably way too much. <laughs> Tell the Vegas audience what you saw on the alley-oop block by Giannis, because there was a lot to see on that video. I mean, there, for starters, it was just unbelievable. I, I, I saw greatness in that video. But the, the, the couple of things there is just Giannis's ability to read and react as well as kind of anticipate where the ball was going is probably the best I've ever seen from anybody in that instance, in one play. And, you know, on the on the Phoenix side of it, I don't think this gets talked about enough. You know, Booker probably threw that lob a touch too high, and if you look at one of those, the, the replay from the actual backboard, you can see it like Aiton actually just has it by the fingertips when he's coming down to, to dunk it. So, you know, before Giannis blocks it, it's actually a pretty incredible catch from Aiton. And then it just becomes the, uh, the, the Giannis block that's going to go down in history as one of the best in, in, in NBA history. So I think, you know, it was just an incredible play all around. So two games to Milwaukee, two strong results for the Bucks. Uh, what are the changes that Milwaukee made in those two games do you think that are making the biggest impact here on this series? I think a couple of things. One, they've embraced their size advantage, you know, and they fully dominated the, the, the boards offensively they finished with 17 rebounds in game four i think they had seven in the last four minutes or or five minutes of the fourth quarter alone in in game four so just embracing their size the other thing and this is really important because their half court offense has not been very good but they've been getting out in transition getting out running and pushing the ball and getting fast break fast break points some of that is from their their defense you know turning the, the the suns over a bit but they're making it a, a, a purpose on we're going to get out and run. And I think the biggest change in the, the series in terms of adjustment that Coach Budenholzer made was putting Drew Holiday on Chris Paul. I think, you know, Chris has had a very tough time dealing with that. And, you know, it's paid off for them in, in the long run. So my question would be, so what do the Suns do from here? Because, Mo, one of the things that I was talking about when I was watching all this was, you know, when you're when you're playing a lineup with Giannis at the five and you're trying to figure something out, and Chris Paul loves to exploit opposing centers, well, that opposing center is now a defensive player of the year with athleticism that can block, <laughs> right, DeAndre Hayden at the top. Like, what are you doing if you're the Phoenix Suns other than running screens in the middle of the floor to get Devin Booker mid-range shots? Like, hey, I wonder, like, what's the next step for Monty Williams in the adjustment back in, at Budenholzer? 
I think they, they need to speed up their tempo. You know, they, they're getting too stagnant. They're, they're a bit slow in their, in their pace the last couple of games. They need to try to get more screens for Booker in, in transition. And by doing that, I think he'll put the defense on the heels. From there, they'll be able to attack and, and continue to go from, from that sense. And I think the other thing for, for Chris, too, is sometimes he – listen, he's a genius in terms of how he can manipulate the pick and roll. But sometimes just be simple. Instead of, you know, he comes off the screen and then he crosses back to get back into the mid-range. Just run the regular screen. Just come off at normal and let Aiton dive hard to the basket. I think that'll put a lot more pressure – on the Bucks defense. And then my last note for them would be, you know what, they got to get back in transition. And I think part of it should be they should only send one guy at the offensive glass and get get four back defensively in transition because the Bucks have proven they can't really score that well in the half court in this series. So is this kind of vindication for Bud? Because he has been just killed for the lack of adjustments he has made in the past. But he's adjusted big time in this series. He's changed things with what he wants to do. Does he now deserve some credit for what he has done as a coach? I think so. You know, the ultimate thing is he didn't just make adjustments in this series. I think he's made adjustments throughout the entire playoffs. Now, we can point to the injury luck and all that stuff. But, you know, Bud has made the right decisions as he's gone through the playoffs. And, you know, sometimes they've, they've not always been the, the best decisions. There's been stuff he's done that I didn't like, starting this series with switching, you know, and putting Brooke Lopez on Devin Booker and things like that. I thought that was the smartest thing. But he got out of that quickly. And I think that's the key thing when we talk about making adjustments in rotation is recognizing something isn't working, let me get out of that. And I think, you know, he's definitely sort of vindicated himself in terms of, you know, him as a coach. And I think sometimes – we as the media and, and fans are probably a little too hard also on, on everything we expect in terms of adjustments. Sometimes you can want to make the adjustments, but the players don't. Mo, that was real good, man. We really appreciate it. Let's get you on soon. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Anytime. There he is, uh, Mo Doug Heel, who uh, covers the NBA for the athletic. Big video guy was a video coordinator in the past for the Clippers and the Spurs and worked with uh, – the Australian national team as well. We'll give our uh, picks going out here. We got an update on, uh, once again, Conor McGregor, some COVID updates. Is uh, Now there's another team that is having COVID issues and has a bunch of guys in protocol in Major League Baseball. Oh. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 1030. It's the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast with Dave Koken. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Von Tobel, baseball is back. I'm kind of happy. I uh, As I get older, I get more grumpier with these uh, days where there's no sports. Yesterday I got blown up by the fact that the Yankees and Red Sox had to cancel because the Yankees are having major... COVID issues. So Red Sox today in a double header. I asked you a question, by the way. I can let you answer. Are you happy baseball's back? Yeah, I'm actually watching White Sox and uh, Astros right now on the iPad while we've been doing nice. this show. So I'm nice. very excited and a big series for the Angels starting today, too. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Red Sox 3 nothing. That one is in the bottom of the fifth against the Yankees. Uh, double header going down. Christian Arroyo 
with the three-run homer. Oh yeah, for the Red Sox. I watched so. it. You say it again. You watched it? <laughs> yeah. Well, because that started at four, so that was the first game I yeah. put on while we were doing the show. And I actually did make a comment during the break, but nobody heard me. I said, "Ooh, pinstripe down three nothing." And I got that wrong, didn't I? Is the doubleheader tomorrow? I believe it is tomorrow. I, I thought there was only one game today, but I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah. I'm half asleep. Uh, I don't know what the hell it is. Maybe Sunday. I'll, uh, I'll look through the schedule here. My bad. My bad. My bad. Uh, the White Sox and and the Astros. It's one nothing. Top three. And the Angels. What's the number on this one? They minus one forty five. In the range, actually, I think Heaney opened up as like a dollar sixty favorite, and I think Heaney's got some good stuff, and I think he's due for a better second half than a first. But uh, it's a pretty big price for the Angels at the open. Heaney and Flexen, Angels have major injury issues in the outfield. I saw today or yesterday or whenever yeah. they picked up Adam Eaton. Yep, uh, Upton has been out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, people don't realize not only is Mike Trout been out, Upton has been out for a while as well. Uh, they have been piecing it together in the outfield, and yet still a top ten lineup in multiple statistical categories, Steve, and above five hundred. Very nice, Adam Eaton, our savior. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, Rocky's dealing with uh, COVID and, pro- and the uh, COVID protocol. Let's see, uh, a bunch of players called up uh, right now, not playing. Uh, Senzatella, others like uh, Shasin and uh, Daza. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen a formal announcement of what the hell is going on, but. There are a lot of teams obviously worried about the All-Stars who came back and the possible tracing with COVID and then, you know, put in the fact that the uh, the Rockies actually, well, their stadium hosted the All-Star game. So you got a potential mess here for a little while. With a bad team too, right? That's the other part. You can be pretty bad for the Rockies if they're going to start missing guys because the guys they had weren't very good. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Do you think the Phillies will keep it together? Uh, Aaron Nola is back on probably Tuesday. He tested positive for COVID. He's unvaccinated. And then he actually doubled down and said, uh, I'm not getting vaccinated. It's a personal choice. I don't plan on getting it uh, at this time. What do you think will happen there? Is that team going to go and just kind of roll along? You know, we talked to Seren Petra, our Kansas City buddy, the other day, and Seren was saying that the Royals have had issues. Uh, There is a split on the club when it comes to being vaccinated when you're uh, below the threshold that baseball is asking for. When you go on the road, everyone pays the price. No one can go out. And he believes that that's actually part of the problem with the Royals and their crappy road record. I think to this point in the season, they've only won 15 games on the road. Yeah. And look, and when you have a pitcher who is so vocal about not wanting to get the vaccine, but then it causes him to miss time. Right, that's where you start to get, I think, a real disconnect because you're you're a Philadelphia Phillies team that, while the wild card might be out of the picture, the NL East certainly isn't. You can oh. catch up with the New York Mets, and you need Aaron Nola to do that. Nola has had an okay to me like average season, but there's some indicators that would say that he's due for just like Heaney, a solid second half with some regression in some key categories, and they need him to be out there and to be Aaron Nola. And if he's going to refuse to do take the vaccine and at times put himself at risk and potentially catch this again and miss even more time, that, that goes beyond being selfish, right? You're affecting your teammates and your ability to win a title. So that's why those things will matter as you go forward. That's why I think these teams in the NFL, where we have this rate of vaccinations and some of these teams that aren't as vaccinated as others, it's pretty fascinating in terms of what that could mean for your season. Yep. Uh, Phillies won the first game back. In the second half of baseball, they won 5-2. Bryce Harper, Vegas guy, was a one of three, one four to three, with a double. And uh, 
on the pitching side, they got a relief victory out of Bradley, who they would love to see. Actually, they got decent starting pitching. I was going to say Bradley, they love to see get back to form. Um, Matt Moore, it's so weird now how he grades starting pitching. Matt Moore mm-hmm. went four and a third, struck out nine, didn't walk anybody. And it's like, yeah, quality start. Not really by the old no. numbers and the old standards, but uh, in today's baseball, that's a quality start. I couldn't care less. <laughs> you give me Bryce Harper back on baseball? Yeah. <laughs> At least you don't want to break to down Matt Moore? No, I don't want to break down Matt. I'll break down the iron play of Colin Morikawa. You lose me at Matt Moore. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, did you see, one, that Richard Sherman had his charges reduced? He's now facing five misdemeanors. He also sent out an explanation and an apology and did point to the fact that he's having mental health issues, uh, that he will uh, seek help. He said, quote, I vow to get the help I need. Um when I see this, and I, I kind of figured that was the case, I don't see how the NFL could actually keep him out of any games. I don't think they can suspend him. He's got mental health issues. Sorry. Well, and this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I read one that he was a free agent. Is he, does he have a team? No, he's not on the team. I'm saying. They, right. But they could they could tell him, well, he would sign, and then they would tell him how long his suspension okay. is, but right. he shouldn't be suspended at all. Right. If they, and look, he does need help if that's the case, especially if – what it's true, what was said, I think on the 911 call, if he had drank two bottles of liquor and what was going on, if he's using that to numb the pain, he needs some help. And taking an environment like that away from him, if that's indeed if he signs on a team, you could argue is detrimental to his mental health. We've had the whole discussion that uh, it looks like, you know, one of the things Richie Incognito needed to get right. straight was to get back into the structure of football. And so far, his return has worked very nicely. All right. William Hill Show is coming up. Paul Howard. On uh, radio right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So listen in. Paulie's back. He's up.